to Libations Friday edition of the Jeff Cameron Show. Pretty loosey-goosey. Maybe not as loosey-goosey as it normally would be. Bear with me. Sorry if I don't sound great or if the energy is lacking dealing with COVID. But uh, should be all right here in the next couple of days. And certainly, we're not missing any time. We couldn't possibly miss today on a day in which Florida State announces a new baseball coach. And it is indeed Link Jarrett. That will carry the momentum into the weekend, right? We're all excited about that. Florida State, I think, gets it right. They get a guy that uh, a lot of teams around the country wanted, a guy that uh, obviously would be very interested in coming home. Seems like a no-brainer. Florida State it made it efficient and easy, played out the right way. And so, Link Jarrett, we welcome you as uh, the new baseball coach at Florida State. And it'll be interesting to see what his staff looks like. I talked about it in a video we did on Warchant TV earlier this morning with Ira and Corey and Tom Produce and myself. Um you know that he, he's got a little bit of work to do initially. Obviously, he'll meet with his players uh, and find out which guys are uh, all in and, and locked in and excited to, to to play for him and those that were considering uh, maybe looking elsewhere. I, I don't think it's a hard sell. I think that most people who follow college baseball, certainly if you play college baseball, you're aware of who's who. Um, you know, at, at this point, you, you know that that's a guy that has had a lot of success in the game, played the game at a high level right here in Tallahassee, right here at Florida State, was an All-American, and is a guy that um, obviously loves the Knowles and has had success coaching outside the program. So I I don't think he's going to have to win over too many people, but that'll be the first thing that he does. And then obviously he's got to get that staff together and figure out where we go from here on the recruiting trail. It's a big weekend for Florida State. Speaking of uh, recruiting, I should make mention that you can read all of those stories on warchant.com, including the story about Link Jarrett. Uh, Corey Clark wrote one. I know Ira uh, wrote, had the release when Florida State officially announced it. By the way, Monday, 10.30 a.m. is when the press conference will happen for Link Jarrett. What a great day that's got to be for him, man. What, what a cool uh, thing for him. And of course, a lot of us are looking at this as a win for Mike Alford, a win for the new athletic director. Um, it, it's hard not to look at it that way. Ultimately, Mike Alford, despite these early successes uh, in the eyes of most, is a guy that will be judged by football. And so while this is uh, a good sign moving forward, uh, I do think that, you know, at the end of the day, the bigger uh, the bigger issue and the bigger moment for his tenure here will be with football. And let's just knock on wood that it's uh, us talking about the extension that he's giving Mike Norvell after a nine-win campaign, Tom. Uh, the the weekend I alluded to here in Tallahassee is recruiting. We What, what do you got, eight guys, I think, coming into town that are important? Uh, yeah, you got a bunch of guys, including perhaps quarterback Chris Parson, which would be interesting if he makes it here, given that that's been a rocky relationship of late. Yeah. So, uh, And listen, I'm not up to the minute on that stuff. That's where you got to make sure you follow at Warchant.com. You go to the premium recruiting board and make sure you keep up to date with what Michael Langston's reporting, Austin Cox is working on as well. They'll keep you up to date there. I do have a bit of news, though, because uh, the letter of understanding that Link Jarrett had signed is now in our inboxes. Uh, and we have the first couple of years' worth of compensation for Link Jarrett, which uh, I was wondering what that number would be. And it's a seven-year deal. I reported that this morning. Uh, but $875,000 is the number for the first couple of years. It goes up as time goes on. It looks like Florida State had to cut a check of just over $100,000 to Notre Dame uh, for the buyout. whoop de doo That's no big deal at all. Uh, but Link Jarrett, seven years, and it starts at eight hundred seventy-five dollars and climbs up as, as time goes on. 
Tells you a couple things. So obviously they're basically doubling what they were paying Mike Jr. Um, pretty close to doubling that. I think the other thing it tells you is again, Notre Dame is not committed uh, to to paying a baseball coach a million dollars plus. Uh, that that's not a program that has met with a huge amount of success. Um, I I tried to without belittling people when we had this discussion in the past. Uh, I and I perhaps belittled some, Tom. I see the smirk on your face. But without belittling people, I was I was trying to explain that um, the football mentality that our fan base seems to, or a percentage of our fan base, seems to apply to all things that have nothing to do with football uh, would not matter here. Um, that, that the fact that um, college baseball coaches don't make anything close to college football coaches – Universities, many universities, including Notre Dame, don't view baseball uh, as a particularly important sport or a revenue-producing sport. So this was not going to be an arms race for a program of Notre Dame stature and what they have in the coffers, and then a program of Florida State's program uh, stature and what they have in the coffers. Florida State is an infinitely superior baseball program to Notre Dame. It's not even – they're not even – they don't live on the same street. They're not even in the conversation. Notre Dame isn't when it comes to baseball compared to Florida State. And then you throw in the mix that the man played here, is from here, wanted to come back here. And then you throw into the mix that Florida State was going to put together an offer that puts him amongst the higher paid coaches in the sport. $875,000, or is that what you just said, I think? Yes, that's correct. Um, that puts him in great standing amongst the world of college baseball coaches. It's just not a sport that pays millions of dollars per year for its coaches, unless you have a university that has more money than sense, like Texas A&M and a few others that might be willing to w grossly overpay their college baseball coach. Well, a couple of things here. Number one, it's like any negotiation with any free agent in major sports and professional sports, if you're talking about athletes, you can lower the annual value if you increase the term. So I think you know going seven years allows you not have to part with an extra three or four hundred thousand dollars up front per season, and the other thing that that frees uh, Florida State up to do is now the in this letter of understanding it says that a four hundred and fifty thousand dollar pool will be put together for two full time assistants and a support staff hire as well. So they got four hundred and fifty k what they were paying meet just to hire assistant coaches. That's good. I'm sure that that's a bump up from where it was before. In addition to the fact that they're doubling his salary, so. It all seems good, and if you hear some of the whispers around and you listen to them and you give them weight, it sounds like some of the people that are involved money-wise with the baseball program have committed to investing and helping Hauser get better. You know, you can't okay, bulldoze so it yet, but that's an important thing, too, that you have the blessing of the people because it was divided among the money people just like it was divided among the fan base what the right course of action was for Florida State's baseball head coaching job. Okay, so what I was uh, – well, what I would – what I would add to that piece of information, Tom, is that most people understand, and, and if you're not in a baseball culture, it, good for you, because you don't want to be. It's a terrible place to live. Um, baseball culture is awful. Uh, if you've ever been amongst travel team parents, you know how awful it is. Um, there's nothing worse than travel ball, and there's nothing worse than the parents at travel ball. And the whole thing, anyhow, I bring all of this up because everybody grew up playing baseball of a certain age. So everybody thinks they know uh, what should happen with every baseball coach, every baseball team, how it should work. Every 
Tom, Dick, and Harry's got an opinion about baseball because they played it. Because they played it. Not everybody can play football. Not everybody can play basketball. Not everybody, but everybody grew up playing baseball. So they all think they know a ton about baseball. And it's quite maddening. Now, that said, it's also very political. Baseball is very political. And you get into these high school arguments. And it goes all the way through into college. It is fascinating. The coach is playing this guy because he's best friends with that kid's dad. My son is an infinitely superior shortstop. If that son of a bitch doesn't do the right thing, I'm going to transfer and expose him. And these are the kinds of things that go on all the time in the world of baseball. And that continues to work right up to the money. Right up to the money. Who's given? Who's going to pull money if this guy's not hired or this guy's not brought in? Who's willing to stay the course and pay this guy more? And all of that was going on back when Mike Martin Jr. got hired after 11 was deciding to retire. This became a political struggle that, of course, always is going to involve money. And at the end of the day, I'm not going to get into the nuts and bolts of all of that, but you have a couple of very important people when it comes to baseball who have largely for many years, now they've backed off some over the years, controlled the financial purses, Tom, the purse strings, all right? This is kind of what they've done for a long time. Uh, I'll put money here. I'll put money there. This is the guy I'd like to see get the job. Those kinds of people, right? So the point would be one of the things that had to happen when the transition was desired by the new athletic director was that some of those people who have been involved in baseball for a long time and, again, are considered quote-unquote money people had to sign off on it. And I think that you see a signifier here that there's a willingness to go a different direction. Now, it made it easier that you were going to be bringing home one of our own. I think that certainly made it easier for people who have been long-term invested in baseball. But I also think that those people, by saying I'm willing to to go there with you and to and to embrace this transition it was their way of saying go ahead and do what we think you have to do unfortunately this didn't work out and oh by the way you have my support and by oh by the way you have my support they mean i'll help you financially to do what needs to be done and so a lot of questions got answered with the hiring of link jarrett not just that your athletic director was willing to identify a problem and do something about it, but that the, the whole transitional team from athletic director on down was in favor of the steps that need to be taken. And of course, those are always also going to involve money. So I suggest to you now that in the next couple of years, you're going to start to see some changes regarding Florida State's Dickhauser Stadium, Mike Martin Field. What those look like, I do not know. To what degree, I do not know. It could very well be that they seek to build a brand new stadium. Who knows? But I do think you're going to see this, this bigger vision, this larger transition of which I speak take place. Yeah, the question is, if you have, let's just say, a million widgets to use, right? A million pesos. Where, where are you going to spend the money? Where are you going to put it into? And, and would it be... The infrastructure for the clubhouse and the players, so it's more attractive to the players, or is it going to be cosmetic because you want ticket sales? Or is it, you know, for every dollar you spend on, you know, making the offices better for the coaches or the setup uh, better for the players, you got to spend an equal part to help the stadium look a little bit better. Is Dick Hauser Stadium salvageable? 
Now, I know you would say no uh, or would require a hell of a lot of money. You might as well build a new one at that point. That might be the way that they see it. But you're going to get an idea here. If they are putting lipstick on a pig with some of these repairs or updates that are to they've the got new padding, right? Well, if they've got more of that, like the seating area, maybe they expanded a little bit. If it's not a major overhaul of a project, then I would think the long-term vision is that they're going to build a new stadium. Like if it if it looks like a short-term fix, kind of a uh, five hundred grand was thrown into Dick Hauser to do this or that, the concourse is going to look nicer. If it is overhaul down one of the baselines, like they're putting in seating that's going to connect all the way to the foul pole, and there's going to be a luxury you know bar area or something like that, that tells me that Hauser will remain, and this is going to be the plot of land it's on, come hell or high water. But it'll be fascinating to hear, just as a citizen of this town. I know it doesn't matter to a lot of the Knoll fans out there that are regional, but as a citizen of Tallahassee, I want Hauser to be a place to be. I want more amenities there. So hopefully we get some announcements to that end here soon. Yeah, I'm excited about that, too. It's always fun to watch this stuff play out. I've been here for a lot of the changes, and I know these are always indications of how old I'm getting. I can remember when they expanded the stadium the last time, Tom, and um, I remember thinking that was a huge deal because I went to games long before that had happened. And, um, you know, there was a time where that was the gym of college baseball for a short period of time, and and it hasn't been in a long time. So just from a nostalgic standpoint, from a love school and for a program that deserves better, I hope that there are real thoughts moving forward on on how to get the most out of uh, this baseball program. That certainly involves facility as well. I'll tell you what, at some point, we'd probably be be right to bring on Chip Baker to have this conversation uh, if he would do it. Now, Chip is is not in the business of ruffling feathers, but uh, he's the kind of guy, and he knows I am, so he would probably say no. He would probably say, I know what you're going to do. You're going to get me on under the auspices of being friendly, and then you're going to ask a very pointed question that puts me on the spot, and I'm going to look like a jerk, and I can't answer that, and you know that, and then you're going to (laughs) go. Chip, how much does Hauser suck? Yeah. (laughs) Well, I don't know that I would ask him that kind of a loaded question, but I would maybe maybe ask the same thing phrased slightly differently. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, And then he'd be like, great. It would depend on the day. It, It would depend on your mood. Yeah, it would. Um, but anyhow, that's funny. I, <laughs> I, I, love, uh, I love talking to Chip, and I've known him for many, many years, and I know he has opinions on, uh, on Dick Hauser and what can be done. I just don't think he's ever going to share them <laughs> on this show. I'll put it that way. The Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio and Warchant TV. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time time or your money back guaranteed because with ebay motors you're burning rubber not cash with all the parts you need at the prices you want it's easy to make your car the mvp and bring home huge wins keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply I have a follow-up, Tom. You wanted to know the answer to uh, the story I was reading earlier, David Pernham's story, if you guys are interested in reading the whole thing on ESPN. 
uh, about this man who uh, had properly, uh, Tanner Flynn, uh, a tech salesman in Nashville, put together a, a, a parlay for the ages in which uh, he bet Usman to beat Masvidal, took the Lakers back in 2020 to win the NBA Finals, the Dodgers the same, the Lightning the same at plus 600 in 2020. Now you fast forward to this season, and he's already on the verge of doing it again. He has the Avalanche, who, if they finish off the Lightning tonight, win the Stanley Cup, and he will, in turn, win the bet, go back to when he decided to do it. He was in his apartment in Nashville, and he put together Golden State, took the Rams, took the Georgia Bulldogs, who I also had, by the way, and he took the Avalanche. He uh, also decided to throw in a random UFC fight. He won that when Whitaker lost uh, to uh, Desanya, and that $25 bet will pay. By the way, Tom, here's your answer. It was plus 136,367 were the odds. Oh, my God. <laughs> I thought it was just the, the couple of major sports teams. So you're, it's all of these other wrinkles to it, too? So, wow. no, he, so yeah, he takes, he adds, he'll always add uh, a UFC fight. And then, of course, he took the national champions in college football. He took the Super Bowl winner, the uh, Stanley Cup winner, and the NBA Finals winner. And so, yeah, that's that's his bet. That's where he's going with it. At plus 136,000, 25 mm -hmm. bones. Oh, my mm -hmm. goodness. Um, can you imagine, like, ah, to can be you sitting there tonight? Can you imagine the heartbreak? You know when when the lightning come back from three one down, <laughs> and somehow Vassy makes fifty five saves a game. Well, here's what I will tell you: At what point do you hedge and lock in that profit, baby? Because if the lightning win tonight, you're going to hedge if you're him. Yeah, and you would get a, a really good payday, I would think. I mean, you're looking at, at rough math, but you're looking at what? $3 million, something like that, close to $3 million in profit. So they would be offering you around 800000 to a mil? I, I don't know how it would work. I just would love to be in the position. I, <laughs> I would like to find out what kinds of choices I have uh, as I lock in said profit. That's what I would like to do. That would, that would be a joy. Uh, I've never been in that position. I've never had any luck, typically, with uh, parlays. I don't know. We'll see. You know, I want to segue here because I see you guys talking about it on the chat. And this is yet another reason why we need Mike Norvell to uh, to get it right, okay? To 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 not put us in a position, no matter how good we feel about the direction of the athletic programs under Mike Alford, we don't want to have to start over. So I'll ask you this: um, the question that they presented on the boards here or on the chat was, who is the football equivalent to baseball's Link Jarrett? Who is the guy, the no-brainer, that Florida State goes out and gets if Mike Norvell fails? And I've asked myself that question many times, and I don't have a good answer. And that tells you where we're at. A lot of times when you watch college football, you'll find three or four guys at any one time that you know are the huge names, the guys that you'd want to go get, right? Who's that guy? Who's that guy? Um, who Who's that guy that realistically you'd be able to go get? It's Mark Stoops, buddy. See? See what I'm saying? Who's that guy, Tom? Who's the guy that's the no-brainer that you're going to go out and get if it doesn't work out with Norvell? And that you have a realistic shot. You can't like, oh, I'd go out and get 
Nick Saban. Yeah, no, you won't. Like, so you you got to name realistic candidates that feel like can't miss selections. And right now in the world of college football, there aren't too many guys that fit that bill. Yeah, I um, I'm only kind of quasi kidding too, with because I think that's the one that fits all of the parameters, which is like, who can you afford? <laughs> Where are you as a program? What's your overall situation? And who can do more with less? He's the one that fits because he's done more with less at Kentucky. Now, I understand the windfall of SEC money has you know, started to come in uh, by leaps and bounds since he took over at that program. But when he took over at Kentucky, nine-win seasons or, or ten-win seasons were a complete pipe dream, and nobody cared about that program relative to basketball. So I'm not trying to be the band leader here. I want Norvell to succeed, and, and this could be a moot point. But if you're trying to go through that exercise of like who is realistically out there attainable and can work in this situation and make it work. I don't know many other candidates other than the dude up at Kentucky. So you would say Luke Fickle um, is the answer, I think, whether he's done at Cincinnati, but his ties are all to Ohio State. And, uh, right. You know, yeah, I mean, but, but Day's not going anywhere. So maybe he gives up on the pipe dream of Ohio State. I don't know. Now, you said recently that they were recruiting really well, right? They were uh, in the next year's uh, recruiting Cincinnati class rankings? Is, yeah. yeah. Cincinnati yeah. is, yeah. I'll go study that class and see how many kids are in the Southeast footprint. If he has a few, then then maybe I would change my story. Yeah, I think that's the hard part, right? There are guys. like So, for example, some people have asked about Utah, and you guys know how much money I've made off of Utah, who I also think is a candidate to make us more money this year in Utah. Kyle Whittingham's a coach at Utah, and he does a great job. Um and I don't think he's leaving. He's got a, a real good situation. I don't think he's coming to, to the Southeast. I don't think he would you know, want to coach Florida State necessarily. Um, and, and that is the other part of the equation. When we, when we think of these candidates, there are people that succeed in certain areas of the country uh, where they have ties, where they have connections to the high schools in the region, where they have um, – a system for lack of a better term set up uh, where they can have success that don't necessarily portend of success elsewhere. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're a West coast guy, your whole life and you've lived out there, you grew up out there, you played football out there, you went to endless coaches camps out there and, and, and football camps when you were a player out there, then you have connections in those areas that uh, have tentacles, right? They go on for days, but they're primarily on the West coast. And then you uproot all that and you go to the East coast or you go to the South guarantees. There are no guarantees that it's going to work out for you there. So, it's tough. It's tough. Uh, I know a lot of our fan base, or at least anytime I look at the chat, I crack up laughing. Um, everybody wants Lane Kiffin. And of course, Lane Kiffin is a scumbag of the greatest proportion. Um, he's a very difficult guy for me to stomach to say out loud. Um, but I understand most people don't care about that. They would say, hey, bring in whoever you got to bring in. I mean, uh, I'll tell you. It, I, I would have a hard time with that, but, you know. Well, who would you bring in first, Lane Kiffin or Deion Sanders? <laughs> well, I mean, it's a, it's a fair question. Both of them clearly know how to recruit in the modern era, and, you know, uh, I'm uh, sure Deion would uh, have the full weight of uh, the financial backing behind him this, the same way that Lane would. So who would you rather I, have? I, I, um, I'd like to, to look elsewhere. Um, <laughs> I'd, I'd like us to, to look elsewhere uh, on both fronts, and um, we can go from there. 
Um, and I've brought up the reasons why for many, many times, for many years. I don't feel like having this fight yet again. Um, but it's, it's not, I don't mean you and me. Uh, I just, it's not, it's absurd. But, but I, I would, I, I'm talking about realistic coaches that you could bring in here uh, who've accomplished something in the sport uh, on, in that realm. And, and, and we don't have uh, as much in the way of uh, weighty off the field issues to, to kind of navigate. Well, that's why you have the answer right here. That's the thing. He's already in that office. You don't need to have him clean out his office. He just needs to get it together this season, and we're on the right path, sir. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Boy, you don't believe that at all. I do believe that. I, 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 it doesn't, I've said this a lot lately. Um, I believe there are a lot of good coaches who get fired. It happens all the time. I think there are a ton of good coaches who get fired. And, you know, Mike Norvell, I don't know where I stand on that. Um, I, I, I'm worried for him. I'm worried for him. I believe he's a good coach, and I'm rooting for him to get it right because I don't want to start over. I'm tired of starting over, and no matter who we hire, okay, I don't care if it's Deion Sanders, if it's Lane Kiffin or whoever. I mean, I, that seems like a ridiculous conversation, but I, it, no matter who it is, um, you're starting over, and starting over is no good, man. You're gonna you're, you're screwed for your first class in recruiting. You're just the whole thing. We've seen how – these first-year coaches, even with reputations, good ones, uh, struggle mightily. I, I'm going to be very interested to watch. I'll tell you a, a good case study. Um, let's find out. Wh- let's see what Billy Napier does at Florida. I think he's a good football coach, but there is a guy that is coming from uh, Louisiana, obviously, and let's see how well he does. I think it's going to be important for him to get off to a good start. I do think he's a good football coach, but recruiting is everything. I agree with you there. And so I'm kind of curious to see these coaches, a lot of these guys with everything sped up the way that it is now, if you don't hit early or you don't have a successful season early for whatever reason, the ship could sail and you could never you could never bring it back to port. It could very well be you're never able to get a handle on it. Well, for the Napier situation, how huge is that game against Utah in, in week two where you're hosting – well, it might be week one for them. But uh, you're hosting Utah who's bringing back a lot of their players in the trenches. I know that because I was educated by somebody that's on this screen, not named myself. But they're bringing back a lot of the work in the trenches. They've got a good football coach and a, a, an established program. They know who they are. But they're playing in the humidity in September in Gainesville, Florida. So that's a distinct advantage. Plus, it's going to be a raucous atmosphere for a coaching debut. But you better win that game or show out okay, because if Utah stomps them to start the the regime of Billy Napier, that might set them back for this recruiting class. Because as you said before, September is a dangerous month if you don't play very well in it. And you know, God forbid they lose to Utah and then they lose to Tennessee in the month of September, that thing might be dead before it even gets a chance to get off the ground. Let's hope, Tom. Let's hope that that's what happens. Let's hope that uh, Florida loses by 27 and questions begin almost immediately. Uh, it'd, be, it'd be wonderful. Uh, I will, I, I'm laughing, Ryan. I see your comment. Jeff would have started Will Greer after he did a line of coke on the coach's desk, but he won't jump on the lane train. Uh, I'd be more apt to go that direction than I would Dion. Yeah, I would be. Uh, I figured that was the answer. Real quick, Florida's first four games, it's Utah. Yeah, they they got Kentucky early, too. Week two, they host Kentucky. 
Then they play USF, whatever, and then they go on the road to Rocky Top. So those those first four games are a bear for a brand-new coach given the way that the East is uh, shuffled right now. It shouldn't be traditionally speaking, but Kentucky and Tennessee, where they are relative to Florida, that's a, that's a tough stretch to start their season. Hey, give me the um, give me their first four games again in order. Utah, September third. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, Kentucky. It's a prime time kick, seven o'clock on the tenth in Gainesville. Yeah, they're gonna win that game. All right, South Florida, whatever, at yeah. home, uh, and then they travel to Rocky Top, September twenty fourth. So that'll be key. That's the huge one right there because uh, they're slight underdogs at home against Utah. That's a pick 'em game. I like Utah in that game with the experience that they have at quarterback and on that offensive line. I think they're also really physically tough. Should be a fun game. The Kentucky game, I know they lost a year ago. Weird set of circumstances there. Or is, do I have that right? They won that game a year ago, didn't they? Double check that. No, they lost that game. They lost that game. That was a weird game. We'll go with that. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> but then I think, uh, I, I, obviously, USF, they'll blow the doors off of USF. It's a nothing program. But then, then you go uh, the Tennessee game, Rocky Top. Everybody thinks that they have – Real momentum in Tennessee. I'm not so sure I agree with that. Uh, let's find out what happens. Two and two for the Gators to start the year. That'd be nice. Yeah, and then uh, they got a bit of a break in the middle of the schedule. It's Eastern Washington, so that's their win. October 1st, what a strange time to play that game. They host Mizzou. You should win that football game. But then it's LSU, Georgia, and Texas A&M in your next three. I mean, that's, that's, again, that's brutal. Yeah, could be could be a tough day at the office. What a what a shame. What a shame. Hate to see it, Tom. Hate to see it. Jeff Cameron Show 933 Real Talk Radio and War Chat TV. Live Nations Friday rolling on. Jeff Cameron Show 933 Real Talk Radio War Chat TV. Good to be with you. Appreciate you. Ryan asked something during the break. Since it is Lucy Goosey, I'll address it. Uh, there is an aspect to this that we have not talked about, and I have thought about, especially now that you see, obviously, he's empowered. Now, again, there are a lot of other factors that will come into play. It's a football coach, not a baseball coach. But he noted that uh, he's interested, uh, since Norvell was not Mike Alford's guy, if eight and four the next two seasons would be good enough. I think on the heels of the disastrous last five years, yes, it probably would be. Um, I think other circumstances, and this is an arc, uh, this is a, if you think about the arc of the arguments that we've had over the years, you may remember, Tom, I had one um, towards the end of the Jimbo uh, era with uh, Corey Clark on some of the headlines in which I said, if Florida State went 10 and three, two or three years in a row, uh, and we got further and further removed from, from the Jameis Winston era, and we consider what came before it and what was now happening after it. I argued that at some point, at that point, the program's clout was such that uh, people would begin to get restless, that some people would begin to say that he's underwhelming, underachieving, and has reached a place of stagnation. And Corey disagreed with me, and back and forth we went. And, of course, it all depends on, in the given moment, uh, what kind of clout, what kind of money, what kind of investment, what kind of previous successes uh, have led to this discussion, right? If Florida State is a perennial national power and is competing for a spot in the college football playoff every year and suddenly takes a turn south to lose three and four games three or four years in a row, then you very, very you're, you're, the, the reality is you're very likely, I should say, excuse me, to, to be inclined to want a guy to be removed. If you've had losing seasons 
for the last handful of years and somebody gets you to eight and four in consecutive seasons, you're not as quick to want to pull the trigger, I don't think. I don't even know that it enters your mindset. Yeah, I'd say, you know, eight and four, it, it's interesting. The first thing I did was I went to 2023 to see the future opponents. And, of course, you're playing LSU again next year, and that game's going to be in Orlando. You play Florida. Your cross-division, uh, your intra-ACC, inter-ACC opponent outside of Miami is Virginia Tech on the road. Now, typically that would make you blush, but I don't know if in 2023 that makes you blush. And then it's North Alabama and Southern Miss. So, in short, I'd say this feels like a little bit more of a gettable schedule in 2023 with where you should be as a program. So, 8-4 and four shouldn't feel as good in 2023. If it was a year in which you had Notre Dame and Georgia or something like that, which is technically on the horizon if college football isn't imploding by then, uh, then maybe 8-4 and four in back-to-back years would certainly be a rousing success enough right. that, that Alford would retain Mike Norvell. But just looking at that schedule next year, we'll, we'll see how it lays out when the time comes. I don't know. 8-4 and four seems awfully doable. If it's, if it's doable this year, then most certainly you need to go 8-4 and four next year, at minimum. Isn't it funny how we do this? I, I, I am just like you and um, like uh, all our listeners. It's not hard for me to skip the upcoming important season and look ahead at the one, two, and three years from now. I do it all the time. I'm forever. I'm like, well, yeah, we know this season's important. What are we going to look like the following year? It's ridiculous. We're always looking on the horizon. What is the landscape going to look like three years from now? And where's our place in it? You know, it, it, it's all going to be dictated by what you do this upcoming year. It will be, but this was part of the exercise. And we've broken down this schedule every which way that you possibly can. And so for me, part of the exercise was assume eight and four this year and then take a look at next year because I haven't really crunched the numbers on that schedule and is it acceptable? And I'd say first blush, no, I don't think it would be. If you're eight and four this year, then you better damn sure go minimum eight and four next year. You can't go back to seven and five or six and six. That's not how this works. No, 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 no. He's saying back-to-back eight-and-four seasons. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, nobody's suggesting that it would be okay to go eight-and-four and then six-and-six. Six. No, no. At that point, man, yeah, I don't – it's interesting. You, depending on the guy you run into at the bar, he doesn't think eight-and-four is okay. Uh, it's funny. People are stuck in the mindset of Florida State should play for or compete for a national championship every year. We aren't that program right now, guys, and that is the sad reality. Well, what if you finish nine and four this season? And that could it, it just means that you could be nine and three with a bowl loss or eight and four with a bowl win. I mean, I would think even that guy at the bar, if you threw nine at him, like we talk about all the time, sometimes the way you throw numbers, it just changes. If you say something's a month away, that hurts. If you say it's only twenty nine sleeps away, that feels a lot better than a month right. away. Twenty nine sleeps away feels a whole lot better. If you say we're gonna have nine wins this season and you omit that it might be a bowl game that gets you to nine, I think that dude at the bar might be more apt to say, okay, all right, nine wins, that, that's doable. Because it also allows us to watch our team play in December, which we haven't done in forever, and you get a chance to win a football game in December. So that would be pretty cool. they got to stay healthy at the end of the day. I think they're good enough with their starting 22. 
to 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 win eight games. Maybe maybe if the the ball bounces right in all the 50-50 games and you win the turnover luck battle and you stay injury free. I mean, there's a lot of contingencies here, but if that were to happen, you could you could get to nine wins. And if that happens, obviously the ball should get rolling in recruiting and you start to feel much better about projecting better seasons in the years to come. There'd be real momentum in recruiting at that point. I don't think seven and five garners any momentum in recruiting. That's why I kind of exclude that. A lot of people say that the magic number is eight. Yeah, I, I think I think it does because I think um, if by chance you win eight games, it means you beat a couple of teams that a lot of people right now don't think that you you were going to beat. Yeah, though by definition that's correct. And what's interesting, and, and maybe this is the right answer to the earlier question I posited, is how important can September really be? Like how how important can the results of September be if you've got a signing period in, in December? Can you do enough? Well, maybe the answer is if you're at Rising Spear, and this isn't tongue-in-cheek, I, I legitimately mean this. If you're at Rising Spear, you are trying to garner enough funds that when you get an excuse that a kid picks up your phone call if you're Mike Norvell, you've got quite separately from the coaching staff, of course, quite separate worlds, but you've got an NIL incentive package ready to go for that player, and they're going to take your call. Maybe that's what it's about is September puts you in a position to where if you raise money well enough between now and then, you can capitalize and take it and get a kid to say yes to your NIL deal because that will be what puts you over the top. You know, I think what's fascinating is the idea, Tom, that the fan base has a mindset, a collective mindset. Um, they, they, the mind, uh, I think if, if we were judging what that is, it's that Norvell has to take this massive step forward. He's got to win eight games this year. Some people won't be satisfied unless it's nine games, whatever that might be. But we don't know what the university's mindset is, what Mike Norvell's mindset is, and what the money people think. Now, I know that most of the big-time money people uh, like Norvell. They do. They like him a lot. They've been willing to exercise patience. They understand that he inherited inherited it a nightmare uh, and that these things take time. Nobody is interested And in starting over yet again. They also are a group of people that are well aware of Florida State's uh, prestige and where they would like them to get back to. So if you pulled those people, they might think something very different. They might, because they like Mike, because he's garnered good relationships with them, they may look at this as he can go seven and five, six and six. I don't think that would get him fired. I've said it before. It would make him a dead man walking, but it did, It wouldn't lead to his firing. There are those out there who cover this program who believe that this year is a year that a move could be made. Um, and and that if he went five and seven, he could get fired. I don't know what a magic number is. I'm, I'm not sitting across from Mike Alford having this discussion, nor am I sitting across from a few of the major money people. I don't know what they think. I don't know what they believe. Is there a magic number or is it more about how the team plays, uh, both good or bad, and, and what leads to that? So what I'd say is, and again, I'm not speaking for Mike Norvell, or Mike, Michael Alford, excuse me, either in his thought process, but it's at least from our perspective on the outside, more plausible that a move could be made this year because of the actions we've seen from the athletic director to this point. And he's, he's quick to punch guy when it comes to negotiations and or making things happen, either elevating, raises, terminations, whatever it is. He seems to be a, a quick-to-act person. And so if it's even in the realm of possibility for Michael Alford, 
I would think that the chances of this year being the end have to increase based upon the, what we've seen, what, what's publicly consumable, which is what he's done with other sports, right? Again, again, though, that conversation is a little different. I, I agree collectively with the mindset, but what I would tell you is this was a no-brainer. You had a candidate who was a candidate that everybody agreed upon and had Florida State ties and wanted to come back here. That, that made perfect sense. If Florida State has to fire Mike Norvell at the end of this year, who's the guy waiting in the wings that you know you can get that's going to make the change palatable? That's going to make starting over palatable? Well, that's going to make, you know, that that's this not the same thing. I agree, but I think in that instance he would say, and again, this is like a deep role-playing for Mike Alford, but it would be, it's my guy. That's his answer. It'd be, it would be my coach. And I'm not going to get fired at Florida State because I, I – went on too long with something that clearly just wasn't going to work. Was it middling? Yes. Was it getting better incrementally? But was it getting better fast enough? No. And again, he might not he might listen to this whole segment and laugh and say, man, if he goes six and six or seven and five, that's fine. That's showing incremental progress and that's good enough for me. I, I don't know where he stands on the issue. I'm just saying you have to consider it as more of a real possibility that maybe a change could be made or some aggressive step could be taken this offseason because you know, Alford has been willing to do that in the other sports, and he's two very quickly. different things. Yeah, you're right. Two very different things. The the fans' mindset is six and six. Uh, he's lost all support. Uh, I, I there's no doubt. Uh, I, I there would be very the percentage of Florida State fans that would be supporting Mike Norvell if he goes six and six this year is going to drop below twenty percent. I I think if you were just going to randomly poll Florida State fans at different parts of the state, let's say if you're visiting your parents or something and you ran into a knoll and you asked them about Mike Norvell, if he goes 6-6 six and six this year, they'd be like, yeah, well, we're screwed until we get this slapdick out of here. That's exactly what he's going to think. And I believe that it's a very different conversation if it's 8-4, and four, obviously. But what Alfred's thinking or the big boosters are thinking, I, I don't know. It could very well be you guys are nuts. If he goes 7-5, and five, we're going to be in heaven. You just got to ask that question in code when the season's over at the end of every month. Like, how willing are you to go to Orlando for next year's kickoff against LSU? And then, yeah. very likely, likely, not likely, no way, no how. Like, just send that out every few games and see what the fans' response is because they're actually telling you how they feel about where the program is going, whether or not they want to deal with iDrive and all that nonsense that we're going to well, have to you, next year. You remember, by the way, Tom, we found out, man, that the, the gate matters. Yes. Fans yes. fans will, will they'll talk to you now. They'll make those decisions a little bit easier for an athletic director. Um, we th those those gates matter big time. Let's do some probable, shall we? Fire away, buddy. It's time for how you say with the pitching uh, probables. <laughs> Before I get to probables, I see live spectators that if Norvell fails, desperation sets in. Lane Kiffin is more of a possibility. <laughs> You're right. When desperation sets in, who knows? Yeah, I suppose. Um, Mets, Marlins, Tawan Walker, Sandy Alcantara, Strohs, Yankees, Justin Verlander having himself a fine campaign, Luis Severino, Red Sox, Guardians, Nick Pavetta, Cal Quantrill. We got the Pirates and the Rays, Mitch Keller, Jeffrey Springs. I would have loved to have gone down there this weekend, but alas. Dodgers, Braves, Julio Urias and Ian Anderson, Nats, Rangers, Paolo Espino or Espano, Dave Dunning. We've got the A's and the Royals, Cole Irvin, Zach Grinke. Wait, Zach Grinke is just out here sucking. 
Rockies, Twins, Herman Marquez, Dylan Bundy. We got the Orioles and the White Sox, Austin Voth and Michael Kopech. Uh, Blue Jays, Brewers, Alec Manaya and Adrian Howard. Cubs, Cards, Kyle Hendricks, Andre Palante. Mariners, good name. Mariners, Angels, Chris Flexen, Michael Lorenzen, Tigers, D-backs, Ronnie Garcia, Merrill Kelly, Phillies, Padres, Aaron Nola, Mackenzie Gore, Reds, Giants, Graham Ashcroft and Alex Cobb, the insufferable Graham Ashcroft and Alex Cobb. And that is a look at those that shall reside on the bump. By the way, um, I, I think that's kind of funny. Uh, when we when we have a full slate like this, if I'm going to be locked in the house for three days, Tom, I'm thank goodness baseball has got me covered. There's 150 games tonight. Yeah, you got one more at minimum hockey game, so maybe uh, something can good something good can come of it tonight at eight o'clock on ABC, and uh, they can start defying the odds. But if they don't, you've got baseball wall to wall, and hey, you got the Travelers Championship as well. I'm watching it right now, in fact, and I'll give you a, a, oh, really? a stat. Yeah, it's on over here on the left-hand side. McElroy's at minus 11. Um, but I will I will tell you something, uh, Tom. I um, I saw a stat today for Xander Schauffele. In the tournament, up to this point, and I think he's played something like close to the 36 holes that he needs to play for the two days. You know what his greens and regulation percentage is? What do you think it is? Well, it's either really good or really bad. I'm going to go with really bad, uh, 27%. No, it's really good. Oh. It's 97%. Oh, wow. <laughs> 36 holes of golf, and my man said 97% greens and regulation. You go to hell, Xander Schauffele. That is ridiculous. Oh, sad. Is that you tell me we're out of here? Good work out of you, sir. Thanks for watching and listening, everybody. We appreciate you. I'll be back with you on Monday. Take care. <laughs>